It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Yeah! What it do, baby? Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 766 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, August the 17th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network as we've got all the basketball shows going strong as the playoffs get going today. Also, all the NHL shows going strong as the NHL playoffs continue. They have been wild and crazy. Five overtime games here players opting out there it's been all over the place but please make sure you're checking out the corresponding locked on show that covers the team that you like the most or just the team that you find interesting it's much appreciated when you do that ratings reviews all that good stuff always appreciated as well all right on today's show i somehow suckered samson folk of raptors republic back into another chat with me to continue on our preview of the postseason that is very blatantly overlooking the net series because i don't think anyone with their right mind is really all that concerned about that series and i think most people think it's going four or five games at most and so we're kind of talking about the playoffs in the big picture and sort of down the road a little bit in terms of things that could potentially spark fear for Raptors fans, things that could potentially be the reason why things come crumbling down for the defending champion Toronto Raptors. Samson, how's it going? Thanks again for joining me. We talked like 10 minutes ago, so this is not like we're (laughs) reacquainting each other after a day, but how are you, man? I'm doing quite well. About the same as before, but a little (laughs) bit better having had more Sean Woodley in my life, I think. Hey, that's always nice to hear. Glad I haven't completely turned you off. Um, And, you know, hopefully you don't leave this second podcast feeling newly inspired to uh, lean into the blood feud that is supposed to be going on between our two podcasts. That's that's my my one goal here is to get through with you still uh, kind of liking me. So uh, it seems like we're off to a good start through one episode. 
On today's show, we are looking inside the Raptors. We, yesterday, we looked at all the different teams in the Eastern Conference that could potentially cause some fear and uh, place them on a very convoluted hierarchy of fear that I put together kind of haphazardly, basically trying to find some sort of corollary between how afraid of the team we were and sort of how that would compare to a specific game for the Raptors over the last six or seven playoff seasons in, uh, in terms of how scary they are. And we're going to do the same today, except this time, again, we're looking inside the Raptors things that could potentially go awry for the team itself and sort of be the undoing from the inside of the house, as it were. And uh, again, find some sort of game in Raptors, recent Raptors playoff history to compare it to in terms of the amount of fear we are feeling. Again, the scale goes from Game 6 Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks uh, all the way up to Game 2 2018 second round against LeBron and whatever Cavs team was around him. Mostly just LeBron because that dude was scary as hell, especially in that season. Anyway, Samson, are you ready to dive in? Oh, yeah, dude. Let's get these Jungian archetypes out there. <laughs> All right. So the first thing I want to dive into, and this is the thing that I think most people came away from the bubble maybe feeling the most uneasy about, and that is Pascal Siakam and his readiness to be the number one option in a postseason setting and how his efficiency or lack thereof over the course of the bubble games might be, hopefully doesn't trail into the playoffs, but it could. And if it does, it could be a problem. So we're going to dive into that and talk about how much it scares us. Samson, how much does it scare you? Pascal has not shot well so far in the bubble. He had the one really good game against Memphis. Otherwise, kind of, you know, start and stop. He had a lot of turnover issues as well, kind of getting his feet wet. Obviously, we know that he didn't play at all, really, during the pause. He was cooped up in his condo in Toronto and didn't have access to a court for the longest time and still seems that there's quite a bit of rust being worked off here. Hopefully, this, the, the net series offers a bit of a platform upon which to shake off that rust. But how afraid are you that the second round of beyond could really expose Pascal and his lack of efficiency that we've seen, not just now, but in a lot of games this season? You know, it hasn't been a through line of great efficiency from Pascal. There have been some wonky lines out there. He always makes up for it with his defense and, and the other things he does on the floor. But it's certainly, if you're a team that has designs on making it to a finals or a conference finals, whatever it is, and beating some of the very good teams in the East, your number one option kind of has to perform like a number one option, right? Yeah, as far as the game, maybe game one against the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and a <laughs> moment in that game where the ball was getting tipped about six, seven times towards the, <laughs> the end buzzer, and you're thinking, well, Jesus, it could go either way. And that's right. kind of how I feel about Pascal because – his game right now is very, very dependent on the three-point shot, and that shot inherently has a lot of variance. His decision-making has not been very impressive. As you said, he was not playing basketball for a long time, certainly not playing with other people. So the read-and-react aspect of his game you know, is, is obviously not operating at 100% capacity. But when we're looking at him and what he likes to do on the court and what teams are going to do to make things difficult – I think teams will definitely be able to make things difficult on Siakam. And that's he's progressing towards a number one option. I don't think he is a number one option in the pure sense of how we think of those guys. I think he's a pseudo one and Kyle Lowry is a pseudo one. And that's mm -hmm. we see a lot of trade-off between them and how much of the ball they handle. And even Fred Van Vliet kind of sneaks into that role on occasion. And although Marcus Gasol is not a typical type of leader of an offense, he can grab the reins of the offense too. And so he is buoyed by that, that he is so well supported. And while, you know, Fred Van Vliet is not a typical second option, he's a great third option. While Gasol isn't a typical fourth option, he can be like a third option. And there's so many good players that can kind of punch up to like third option level, but they operate at four or five, six, seven. 
that the Raptors usually their offense can kind of make it through it because their defense is so impressive. So Siakam, a lot of the time, even though he does struggle, can be saved by the efforts and offensive talents of his teammates. But as far as him just being able to completely step into this superstar space where he can manipulate the advantages that he creates by himself instead of creating the advantages because of his talent, his length, and his presence on the floor, and the team as a whole working to find those advantages and you know <laughs> take advantage of them. Great word, Sam. But regardless, <laughs> I think that uh, his presence on the floor already dictates a lot of mismatches that just him being out there is a huge thing for the Raptors offense. But is he always going to be the guy to take advantage of it? I don't think so. I don't think he's completely there yet. If he is, man, I would be so happy to be wrong. But I am, the ball is in the air. Jonas Valanciunas looks like he's going to tip it into the bucket, but we know it, it might not go in. So that's where I'm at. And the fallout of it not going in or Pascal Siakam not really quite being ready for the task uh, could be pretty bad. So I, I like that comparison quite a bit. Um, I would also sort of liken it to game seven against the uh, Indiana Pacers where it's like, feel pretty good, but mm, there's a lot of things to be worried about here. And Paul George, or uh, in this case, mid-range efficiency, it could very easily cause this whole thing to come crashing down. Um, you know, that's the thing I, I do worry about with Siakam is that these teams, in particular Boston, Philly as well, considering what a menace uh, Joel Embiid is at the rim, and obviously the Bucks, who love to force teams into taking mid-range jump shots, I really do feel like Pascal is going to kind of get a crash course on just pulling up for mid-range and hitting them. And he has not done it so so uh, not done it well so far in the bubble. Um, seems like he's short on pretty much everything. He does that little sort of step away, fall away thing that doesn't quite seem to have enough juice on it. And then over the course of the season, it's just not been good for him between 10 feet and the three-point arc. Only about 15% of his shots come from there, but he's shooting 33% between 10 and 16 feet and 30% between 16 feet and the three-point arc. That is uh, not good, considering that is the shot that most teams are going to be very happy to settle with if you are Pascal Siakam. And so with that in mind, it comes to finding other ways for him to succeed. And obviously, I think when he's at his best, it's kind of him working in the post. And then, you know, we've seen this, I think in particular, the best example has been like the Jazz this year. His two of his best games came against Utah this year and it was you know him backing down waiting for the double diagnosing the double excellently and then getting that pass firing around quickly where the Raptors can kind of do damage as a team with a ton of very good shooters and smart players who can take advantage of something like that and I just I'm sure teams are going to be very you know quick to double and and send him that extra attention I'm curious about how that element of his game factors into all of this for you Samson is it something you'd like to see more of just like toss it into him and see what happens out of that action or is that something where maybe you're inviting too much and, and putting too much on his playmaking at a time where maybe you want something a little bit lower risk yeah I think that's something that's really important for the future especially depending on how the Raptors front court shapes up going forward like what happens with Ibaka and Gasol but as far as just now, him being a post-up guy that you throw at him, like you just toss him the ball and then good things happen because he makes great reads. I don't think he's there yet. And he also doesn't, like they run flex cuts for him to get him some post-up options. But a lot of his post-ups come from when he has the ball and he dribbles into a post-up. So it's a live post-up in that way. And so it's something he goes to when he's feeling uncomfortable. And it does slow down the offense a lot. And so his settling into a post-up that's maybe a little bit too far from the basket is really similar to when Fred Van Vliet runs the pick and roll and has to reset. It does seem like it's just setting the offense back a couple seconds instead mm -hmm. of moving the ball around. I think he has to be more diligent in hunting mismatches. I think that's something we've seen in the bubble is that he's been pretty lazy about finding those mismatches and taking advantage of them. He's been happy to post up guys 
who are bigger than him or around the same size and with length. And historically, he's like he's a very, very good post-up guy, but maybe even a bit overrated just because he has a bit of flash and pop in that game. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a lot of success posting up those types of players, but he's been going to it. He needs to be in motion more often. This is something that we saw with DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, a lot of the time, like to slow the game down. But the thing is, like, he needs to be going downhill while going slow. Like, he needs to get a dribble handoff. He needs to be, like, a a drag screen in transition. He needs to be using his length downhill. And Siakam, I think, falls into the same type of... Well, he ends up in the same pitfalls where he'll just completely stagnate his game. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see it's just him dribbling. So the Raptors this year, 100%, have not been as creative as they can be in getting him shots, whether that's creative post-entry passes, whether that's more pick-and-roll possessions with him either as a screener or the ball handler. Even, like, he doesn't really get pin-downs, even though he would be great off of a curl. Mm-hmm. He just does not get possessions or play types like a lot of other players do. There hasn't been a lot of creativity in how Nick Nurse has gotten him shots. I mean, he's top five in usage as far as ISO possessions this year. Him, Pascal mm-hmm. Siakam, a guy who was <laughs> like a, a tertiary option last year who jumped up to around second or third they said okay you're like a top iso guy this year but that's like they're just trying to stretch him because he's a kinetic savant they just want him to get as much as possible and i totally get that so the possibility of introducing all these new looks and sets for him super like i hope so but as far as how they're running him now i think it's tough for him to succeed and he gets tired and he just kind of settles into those post-ups and i don't even know what i'm saying anymore but there's there's a lot they can be doing for him but there's a lot he can be doing for himself yeah, I, I think, look, I can already envision the takes if he has a, a, an off postseason and he puts up some wonky shooting lines. There will be the DeMar take. Oh, he's just big man DeMar. Look at that shooting efficiency, which is just like, it's going to be a bad take. I can, but I know what's going to come because bad takes are a uh, currency in uh, the way we discuss basketball, apparently. And, you know, I, I think there's, it's a bad take for a couple of reasons. One, it's entirely justifiable and okay if Pascal Siakam in year one of being a number one option is not ready and doesn't have all the counters built into his game and is not able to carry an offense on his own. People will you know, try to compare what he does to what Kawhi did last year, and it's just not going to happen. He's not going to be the same player, and that is totally fine. And there's nothing to be upset about if you're a Raptors fan. It's just a step along the development. And this season, before they won a million games and were this wonderful story and you know, a legitimate championship contender, at least statistically, when you speak of them you know before all that took place this was supposed to be a developmental year to see what pascal is and you know watch him go through some growing pains as he's the number one option and look man there's going to be some growing pains at some point in the postseason whether he overcomes them or not who knows but you know you mentioned how heavy he is on isolations he's just 0.88 percent points per possession as an isolation guy this year on that insanely high volume as you mentioned that is a sign of growing pains that is a sign of him still figuring out how to be that number one guy and the thing that you know, makes it even a dumber argument when you do pull the DeMar thing into it all is, you know, he doesn't take away anything defensively. In fact, he's incredible defensively. And what he does allows the Raptors to get into what they do best, which is running the floor like maniacs and scoring a million points in your head in transition. And his defense, his, you know, flying out to the corners to contest threes better than pretty much anybody else in the league. The way he digs down for steals and gets his hands into, into you know, dribbling lanes and things like that. He is just such a plus on that end that he's never going to be a guy you look at and say, hey, this should maybe just like bench him and see if they can get by because that will not be the solution to going forward. It will be, uh, it's not the DeMar thing at all. And so just prepare yourself for some pain when it comes to Pascal because, you know, it's going to come. 
he's also learned really quickly on the fly here over the last couple of years. And maybe he does figure out some things and, and learn something about himself during this postseason that makes it so he can overcome, uh, you know, different defensive attention that he's going to see and all that. So I, I feel, yeah, the, the fear is certainly there if we're talking about the, the, the theme of the podcast, but I think there is a, a good chance that he can kind of overcome that as well. Uh, we're going to continue on and we're going to dive into something that's very much tied to Pascal, and that is the health of the half-court offense and how that might play a uh, potential uh, spoiler for the Raptors as we get into the deeper depths of the postseason. But first, deeper depths. Good English, Sean. I want to tell you about DoorDash, which right now, it just makes your life so much easier. You only have to, you just fire up your phone. Maybe you have a bunch of people in your house who are disagreeing about what to eat. That's like the nightly disagreement in the house. It's like, oh, I want jerk chicken. Oh, I want pizza. Oh, just order both with DoorDash. It's not that hard. DoorDash is the app that brings food to your door and the food that you're craving right to your door. That is ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat and order your food. You'll be left safely outside of your door as well with new contacts, contactless delivery drop off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-to or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, a Cheesecake Factory, whatever it is. Wendy's, that's a funny way to say that. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. Again, completely contactless to keep everybody safe. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and $0 in delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That's 5 bucks off and your zero delivery fees as well on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA whenever app store you use. Don't forget, that's the code LOCKEDONNBA for 5 bucks off with your first order on DoorDash. Fire it up. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, Samson, let's uh, dive in now to the uh, second thing on our list of potential fear causers, fear inspirers uh, inside the Raptor zone construction, and that is the half-court offense. Very middling this season, of course. I believe coming into the bubble, they were, depending on the source you look at, cleaningtheglassnba.com, somewhere in the 15th to 18th range, which is not exactly the profile you would expect from a team that has an offense that can make it all the way to the finals. They struggled against good defenses at times this year. We saw it, it you know, kind of pop up throughout the season here and there. They would obviously have good games against good defenses too, but a lot of that time that's buoyed by you know, their own defense and kind of getting out on the run and, and picking people apart in transition, which is a thing that they do extremely, extremely well, but might become less of a crutch you can lean on when you get into the postseason and things slow down. And the other team will know exactly how good the Raptors are when it comes to running out in the open floor and will do everything in their power to limit that. So Samson, my question for you is how scared are you of the Raptors half court offense and whether or not, or whether it'll be able to score against good defenses? Yeah somewhat scared i think there is a lot of markers that indicate that they're not super great but there are also other markers that indicate that they can be much better than they are i touched on it before but just not utilizing pascal siakam like most people would utilize a very very good offensive option 
not playing to Kyle Lowry's strengths as a pick and roll ball handler as often as they should. Like Fred Van Vliet runs more pick and roll than Kyle Lowry, even though Kyle Lowry is ostensibly a much better pick and roll ball handler. Those types of things don't make any sense, but the Raptors do it. But when you get down to clutch time, Fred Van Vliet runs a lot less pick and roll. Kyle Lowry runs a lot more pick and roll. Pascal Siakam screens more. They run more creative options off of these plays. They run that famous hammer play that everybody likes. They, they run elevator plays for shooters. Lots of pin downs. They get into their horn sets. It's more creative. It isn't just this, we'll take the ball down. It'll be read and react. They run more sets. And they are, they are one of the best clutch time offenses in the league. They were the second best clutch team in the league. So as far as scared, yes, a little bit because they're on, you know, what lies ahead are two of the top five defenses when we're talking about the Celtics or the Bucks, mm-hmm. and the Bucks have a historically great defense and there's no Kawhi Leonard this year to punish that dropping defense. And so they might get like a decent warm up when we're talking about this, this matchup against the Nets because the Nets drop really low. The Nets gave up the most floaters and the highest percentage to floaters this year because they, they like Jared Allen and they like DeAndre Jordan dropping really low. So maybe, We'll see them kind of get a warm-up for that. But as far as the half-court offense, a little bit scary. There are things to like, but there's a lot to dislike as far as how they utilize their players and that there isn't a go-to mid-range guy. So as far as a game that's like kind of scary, but kind of not, I don't know, game one against the Wizards when they won the game (laughs) one because you thought, okay, well, they swept us last time. We're a much better team this time and the Wizards are worse, but... God, this could go hairy again. So I think that's the game for me. That's a good one. I was going to say game two against the Wizards uh, in the 2015 series, which we don't usually talk about on this podcast. It's usually bleeped out when it's brought up. But, um, you know, after game one of that series, you were like, hell yeah, like they're fine. They lost to the Wizards. That's cool. The, like Grievous Fast get, get a little skip at the end. It was an overtime game. They're going to be fine. They're going to figure this out against the stupid Wizards. Um, obviously, they didn't figure it out against the stupid Wizards and things really kind of uh, brought them down. And that was, uh, I think, a lot in part due to the fact that the Raptors relied so much on like Lou Williams and DeMar DeRozan getting to the line a whole bunch in the regular season that fell apart and went away in the postseason. And Kyle Lowry was a broken man that year after carrying the team for many months while DeMar was hurt. And I'm not saying that things are going to go as horribly for the Raptors as they did at the end of that series against the Wizards, but those sort of fatal flaws that brought the Raptors down, I do think it's kind of akin to what this half court offense could be for the Raptors. And if things don't go well and you know, the, the things that they can rely on, like that great crunch time offense you were talking about, if that stuff goes off the rails, even a little bit we could be talking about a relatively short playoff run for the Raptors, because if they can't score on any of these good teams, their defense is only so good that they're going to be able to hold up. Right. And, and you know, that's the thing to keep in mind here is that the Raptors defense is excellent. And, even if their offense is sputtering, they're never going to fall out of a game because they can't score on X number of possessions in a row because they're probably going to you know, hold the other team from scoring on a lot of those possessions the other way. It's just a matter of you know, when you get to those late game situations and you need a bucket, you know, they don't, like you said, they don't have the mid-range guy to count on. They don't have you know, a, a long track record. I mean, crunch time is, you know, the stats on NBA.com are great, but they're also kind of flawed in what they take into account as crunch time and what they don't. And, you know, it's still a small sample. It's only 131 minutes of crunch time for the Raptors this year. That is not a, an, enorm, an enormous sample at all. And so as teams prepare and they're more ready for that Lowry-Siakam action that they run late in games to score a million points per possession, 
that could be something that uh, gets cut into in terms of its effectiveness. And you'll be relying much more on your defense to uh, hold the other team at bay as your offense sputters and try to, to figure things out. Um, yeah, it's, it's certainly, I think of all of these things, would you say this is your biggest fear when it comes to the Raptors? Yeah, it's certainly, it, it uh, attacks the heart of what makes the Raptors, you know, vulnerable. When they're at the most vulnerable, these are the things that kind of pop up. These are the things when you're watching the game, you're, oh, that's a hole in their, their game plan. That's a hole in their team. That's something that Ka- Kawhi Leonard, for example, fit very nicely and was, you know, superhero-esque. In, and they're, while they've, you know, by committee, have definitely in the regular season completely papered over what's happening there. Things are a little bit more gritty in the playoffs, and you do, you, it's tougher to paper over stuff. We see continuously from a bunch of different teams, you do not just get to hide your weaknesses in the playoffs. They will come out, and they'll be nasty and ugly. It's like a very big pimple on your face before prom, like Carlton. And then mm-hmm. you try and take speed, which I guess is some sort of uh, thing to make your offense better. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you end up dancing really fast on the dance floor and then going to emergency. <laughs> I, we'll see which the Raptors are. Maybe maybe they'll have a really good supplement of what they want to do, and it'll work out really well. Like as as I laid out earlier, like there are things they can do, but you know, the, you can always crash and burn trying to adjust too much in the playoffs and not finding something and not finding your footing in what you want to do, and especially being able to identify how you can attack the other defense or the other offense. So the Raptors, they have a lot of adjustments to make, but they also have to make the correct adjustments. That's what makes it so interesting is they have so much they can do, but they do have to make the correct adjustments. That's, it's, a, it's an interesting time to be a Raptors fan for sure. <laughs> well, probably the most fun, but also interesting. Yeah, it kicks ass. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly not as... like Having a guy like Kawhi inherently instills confidence because, oh yeah, that dude can just paper over everything. There's less papering over that can be done for this team. They kind of need to execute everything perfectly. And that, I think, applies in particular to a couple of guys. We talked about Pascal. Obviously, he has to be great. I think like you can't afford a Fred drop-off at all in a series against one of these good defenses because his three-point shooting, especially off the bounce, is going to be so important to just sort of pulling apart any defense they come across. And then I also think like this is the series or these are the series, whatever matchups they come across where you're not going to be able to afford bad games from Serge Ibaka and Norman Powell, because those guys are two of your guys who can kind of create something in the mid range. You know, Ibaka doesn't create in the mid range, but he does the beneficiary of a lot of, uh, you know, pick and roll wizardry from Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. And he can knock down those 18 footers that teams like the Bucks are going to gladly give up. And, you know, it might take, as we talked about yesterday, the Bucks are excellent. It might take uh, an out of body experience for Serge Ibaka to beat Milwaukee in a seven game series, you know, have him have two or three, amazing games you're gonna need that at some point and same with norm i mean he of anybody i might be the most confident with him sort of pulling up from mid-range that's not like the most inspiring thing to say because that's not really his bread and butter either but um you know it's that's a sort of the hot zone that you're going to be looking at that 18 foot range that other teams are going to be very gladly giving up shots to the raptors in and uh it'll be on guys like that i think to offer a little bit of a juice because you're not going to be able to afford to have bench spells for four or five minutes where they're not scoring a single bucket and that has happened this year and that cannot if the Raptors want to win any of these series against these very good teams in the Eastern Conference. 
Uh, with that, Samson, we're going to dive into the final thing that might cause Raptors fans a little bit of fear, and that is the uh, sort of undersized backcourt that we saw get exposed a little bit in bigger matchups last year in the playoffs, particularly the Philly one. Uh, we're going to dive into that in a sec, but first I want to tell you about rockauto.com, which for a car dumb dumb like me, saves me so much money because it just finds me the parts that I need for my car without having to go to the mechanic and pay extra money that I don't really have. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, gas caps, whatever it is you need for your new car, whether it's a classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the exact same auto parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on and there. How did you hear about us box to the note we sent you as well? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you're ever going to need at rockauto.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, Samson, last thing to hit on here, uh, maybe less of a fear considering the strides Fred, Fred Van Vliet's made this year and how well he's played in the bubble so far, um, but still a thing that was a bit of a bugaboo last year, particularly in the second round against Philly. And when you think about some of the matchups in the Eastern Conference, Boston with Jalen Brown at the two, a bigger guy, the Bucks who can go and scale big if they really want to and have Chris Middleton play the two or even, you know, George Hill and Eric Bledsoe in a backcourt is still a little bit bigger than your typical point guard duo. Uh, the, the small backcourt, two six footers as your uh, one and two in your starting lineup, could they, they could potentially run into some size mismatches here that could cause the offense to maybe have a significant portion cut out of it. Um, I'm curious, Samson, how afraid are you of the size disadvantage of Van Vliet and Lowry potentially uh, causing problems for the Raptors at some point down the road in the playoffs? I'm not super scared of it, especially since Fred has asserted himself as probably, you know, a top 10, 12 guard defender in the league. He's been so good. He's got those heavy hands. His action off ball is super great. So he's always going to validate his time on the floor. I mean, usually you look at a guy like Norm Powell, he would find his way into almost any starting lineup in the in the league when he's at his best, but the Raptors can't make it happen because OG and Fred are so impressive on the defensive end. And when we talk about how the size is going to limit him on the other end, because I'm not particularly worried about Kyle Lowry, like his floor game is so good. Mm -hmm. He feels so comfortable in the middle of the floor and how he can manipulate a dropping big or a hedging big or a switch. He's just really smart, and he's also capable of, you know, or gleaning things from what's happening during the game and using them later on in the game. But Fred, less so, and you talked about how important his pull-up game has to be. It really does. That is, you know, kind of as far as how good he is as a shooter, that is lagging behind a little bit. He is not super impressive off the dribble. And usually that's because he has to pull up from quite a bit farther away. Like his, his pull-ups from three 
are not at the line usually. They're usually a couple feet back because he doesn't have a really quick first step. He isn't going to break a guy down or shake a guy down without motion. Like he cannot do it from triple threat. So he isn't doing like a James Harden step back and that kind of stuff. He has to wait for somebody to go under a screen and he has to pull up from pretty deep because he's a short guy with short arms and he's got to let it go. So we saw him do that at Rico Hines and all the clips that came out in the summer and we saw him working on it. If that translates fully and you look at a guy who's not shooting, you know, 33% on pull-ups, but he's getting closer to between 36 to 40%, that's when Fred becomes like a really, really dangerous offensive option because he is still reluctant to shoot from the mid-range. He's still really, really poor at the rim, even though he does have a lot of interesting-looking finishes and super impressive <laughs> finishes. That That isn't the norm, typically. Like, he's he's not a very impressive rim finisher. He doesn't draw fouls like Lowry does or like a lot of guards do. So there's a lot left for Van Vliet to figure out, and I am worried about that, but not to the point where you have to worry about him as an overall player. Just worried about, okay, the offense might sputter a bit, but the Raptors can always, always switch out to looking at, okay, we want more Lowry or Siakam on ball. Because Siakam has great synergy with Van Vliet when Van Vliet is relocating or forming up off of drives. And so, and the same thing with Lowry. So Van Vliet, even if he's struggling on ball, which we've seen him do, the Raptors can just transition some of those possessions away from him. And he can work off ball where he's dynamite and always has been. So not super worried. Yeah, I think I'm with you. This is, for me, like uh, game six against the Wizards in 2018, I guess it was, when they beat them. It, you know, it's certainly you have, like, the the haunting of the past in, in terms of, like, last year's postseason for Fred and the very, very dry spell he went through before getting ridiculously hot against the Bucks and carrying it through into the finals. But I think he's a better player now than he was a year ago. I think that's just uh, – maybe that's a little bit overestimated. I don't know. I think it's very clear he's a better player. Um, I think his defense is so essential and so good, regardless of the size of the people he's guarding, that he can be out there defensively no problem. And you're totally right in that his off-ball work does kind of counter it a little bit. And I do believe in Lowry to kind of go up against anybody and not be sort of daunted by the size. Because as much as he is like a pull-up shooter – and, and, you know, as much as that's an effective thing for him, it's less of an arsenal in his tool bag as, than it used to be. And, you know, it's something where, you know, he can sort of take advantage of maybe a slower matchup. And he's got this burst now that he's kind of flashing again after a couple of years of not flashing it at all. Or maybe he can take advantage of a bigger, more hulking defender on him. Um, you know, I, I think I'm pretty much with you. I, I, I'm not terribly concerned you know, in a certain matchup, if they were to come across, say, like a healthy Sixers, if Ben Simmons makes his way back, then yeah, that could be a problem. But for the most part, you know, the Jalen Brown thing, I'm not too worried about the because you can kind of flip flop who you want. He would guard Kemba in any way defensively there. Kyle on Jalen Brown does not scare me in the, in the slightest. And I think offensively, you just kind of run the offense through whichever guy is being guarded by Kemba Walker regardless. And so I'm, uh, I'm feeling all right about the size. And Fred, I think, has made such significant strides this year that it is less of a potential Achilles heel for the team than it was last year in that series against Philly. Uh, do you have a game in mind as a corollary to wrap this thing up with a tidy bow? A game that doesn't worry me very much. Jeez. I don't know. Any game two after they lost a game one. <laughs> for, well, for the most part, let's game two against Orlando because Kyle wasn't going to score zero points again. So maybe there's, it works that way. Cause even if Fred isn't doing very well, you know, he'll contribute in other ways a la Kyle Lowry, 
And I guess same goes for Kyle. They'll, like, they'll figure it out. They're both super smart, great competitors. And even if they do have shortcomings, I think they'll be they'll do their thing. And, you know, Fred, who knows? Maybe he has that full-on playoff competitor thing now where he's always going to be super good in playoff games because some guys take that on the chin and then have it for the rest of their careers. Usually they're Hall of Famers, but there are the Robert Ories and the Fred Van Vliet's <laughs> of the world that just make big shots forever just because, you know, that's who they are. Derek Fisher, another guy like that. Man with large watermelons, as per Mark Gasol. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's always a comforting thing to know. Uh, see, what well, look, we started off a little bit scared, a little bit uh, weary of the half-court offense and Pascal Siakam against these very good defenses, but we close it off with some positivity and some optimism for you out there listening. Uh, Samson, thank you so much for uh, taking so much time over the last two days to talk to me. It's been very much appreciated. I guess we all did it in one afternoon, but the people hearing it over two days, um, it was lovely to... To finally do a meeting of the minds i'll be on the raptors weekly podcast a little bit later this week as well to complete the home and home if you want to keep me for two there that is uh i, I owe you two so <laughs> whatever you want but either way it was lovely having you man and i'm glad we could do this thank you thank you very much for having me on it's been an absolute pleasure yeah uh where can people check you out once again Oh, uh, don't follow me on Twitter because Twitter's a cesspool. Get away from it if you can. <laughs> but if you read or listen to anything I do on Raptors Republic, you already support me so much. But if you want to support me just a little bit more, I do a basketball newsletter that is NBA-wide type of stuff with Lewis Satsman and wherein we tie in a, a general theme and try and get cute and make basketball make sense through that lens. So, And it's called Minute Basketball. So Oh, God, I guess go to my Twitter. You'll find it there. <laughs> yes, Twitter is a part of our lives uh, forever. The Redeemer. We all hate yes. it, and it sucks. Um, but, yes, thank you so much for coming on, man. You can find me on the Hell site at Woodley Sean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, of course. You can also listen to my other podcast, uh, Basketball, with Katie Heindel, which we dropped an episode on Thursday that was quite fun, and we drop episodes every Thursday for you to tune in there. We also made an announcement on our Patreon page. We are doing a uh, trivia night on Zoom for our Patreon subscribers. So if you want to be part of that on September 14th, please go and sign up over there. It's just four bucks to jump on the uh, basketball Patreon page as well. That's going to do it for today's show. Tomorrow's episode will be Katie and James Herbert from CBSSports.com breaking down game one of the NBA playoffs. I can't believe it's here, but it is. And Katie and James will have it all covered for you as I continue my pseudo vacation on the beautiful Atlantic coast in Nova Scotia. And uh, that'll do it. We'll talk to you again later in the week. And Katie, we'll talk to you tomorrow on another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.